For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. The person of Jesus is expressed in many ways, conveyed by Paul in his letter to the Colossians. But the work of Jesus is happening within you. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers how Christ works in the lives of his followers and is evident in your past, present, and future. Continuing his series, Christ Above All, here's David with the conclusion of his message, The Fullness of Christ. Well, thank you for joining us today. We are beginning this new week together, once again opening our Bibles to the book of Colossians, a book that is often passed over when preaching through the Bible because it's a hard book. It's a book uh, written kind of philosophically by Paul from his cell in Rome, and he wrote the book to help the Colossian church withstand the attempts on the part of some false teachers to take them out of the game. And it's a wonderful book. It's polemic. It's very helpful. And uh, I'm trying to unfold it so that we can all grab hold of the truth and apply it to our own lives. We're going to today finish up what we started on Friday as we talk about the fullness of Christ, what the Bible says about why Christ is above all, how we know he is who he claims to be, the fullness of God himself. And uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Friends, I don't know if you receive our publication called the Turning Points Magazine and Devotional, but if you don't, you should. Um, I, I love uh, every, every month when the new edition comes out and they put it on my desk. I don't just uh, push it over to a pile. I pick it up immediately and, and thumb through it and often stop and just review what's there and, and try to envision the listeners and viewers of Turning Point and what a blessing that magazine is to them. We've had so many stories of people who've gotten saved reading the magazine and uh, people in prison who love it. We make sure that many, many copies of the magazine get to prisons all over America. And uh, I hope that you get a copy of it. And if you're not getting the magazine, but you have access to the Internet, you can get all the devotional content, which gives you a devotional for every day, Monday through Friday, for the whole month. It will be downloaded into your inbox, and you can just... Get fresh bread every morning. I hope you'll take advantage of that. Ask about it when you write to us or go to our website. We want to finish what we started on Friday, so here we are. We're opening our Bibles once again to the first chapter of Colossians and the 15th verse. Not only is he the firstborn of all creation, not only is he the creator of all creation, the goal of all creation, the predecessor of all creation, he's the sustainer of all creation. Verse 17 says, in him all things consist. What does that mean? It means Jesus Christ is the glue that holds the universe together. If for one moment he would remove his hand from this universe, it would fly out into oblivion. He is the glue that holds us together. He is the consistency of creation. He is the one who is at the center of it all. Jesus Christ sustains the universe, maintaining the power and the balance necessary to life's existence and continuity. He is the creator. Nothing is impossible with God. 
This is finger play for him. I mean, the Bible says in Genesis, in the beginning, God, what did he do? He created the heavens and the earth. Now, what do you think that means? It means God created the heavens and the earth. And today, scientists want to fight over that. When I first came here back in 1981, one of my first surprises was over in the ad building, there there were a bunch of offices, and they showed me where my office was up in the corner, and they gave me a little tour, and we were walking down the hall, and they said, this is the office of Wendell Byrd. He's our attorney. I said, we have a lawyer who has an office in the church building? Yeah, he said, well, you'll understand why when we tell you. He said, he's here because ICR, the Institute of Creation Research, is also here, and they're constantly being sued by people all over the world, all over the country, for their belief in creation. So we have our own attorney right here. For years and years, Dr. Henry Morris, Dr. Dwayne Gish came to this church. They were the greatest creationists on earth. They were a member of this church. Somebody asked me, when are you going to preach on the first chapters of Genesis? I said, I'm never going to preach on it as long as those guys are sitting out here. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do that. These creationists who believe what the Bible says about how we got here and what happened when the flood came, all of that, these creations are under fire all of the time because of their belief. And we stand with them in this church because we're creationists too. And if you come to our school, you won't hear that we evolved from a monkey. You will hear that Jesus Christ was the creator of the universe. Robert Jastrow admits to being an agnostic in religious matters. He wrote a book called God and the Astronomers. In this book, he tries to help us understand why modern scientists are so opposed to any kind of creationism. And here's what he wrote. Why this strange reaction to the part of many scientists? I think part of the answer is that scientists cannot bear the thought of a natural phenomenon which cannot be explained even with unlimited time and money. For the scientist who has lived his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) Yes, because we believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So he's the firstborn over all creation. He's the creator of all creation. He's the goal of all creation. He's the predecessor of all creation. He's the sustainer of all creation. And finally, he's the reconciler of all creation. How many of you know that in our world today, something's out of sync? (laughs) Can I get a witness? Something's out of sync. Something's out of sync in your world and in my world. What is it? Well, it's so complicated, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. We know... What's going on in the world right now is not the way it's supposed to be. And we wonder, will it ever be right? And I want to tell you that it will. The Bible says one day what Jesus did on the cross will be realized in the reconciliation of the world. The Bible says that we groan toward the redemption. In other words, we long for that moment when all things will be made right. And one day that's going to happen because Jesus Christ reconciles us. You know, our personal reconciliation with God took everything God had. He gave his best. He gave Jesus Christ. Why? Because God and us, we were at war. The Bible says God is holy, and how many of you know we're not? (laughs) And there had to be some way for reconciliation to take place from Almighty God to sinful man. 
And the only way that could happen is if God could bridge the gap between us. And so he sent his own son, who was fully God and fully man, who died on the cross. And in the greatest picture of reconciliation you'll ever see, he has his hand stretched out, but the center pole goes from heaven to earth. Jesus Christ is reconciling us to God. Our sin separated us from him, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we can be at peace with God. Let me tell you something. God didn't change. We did. God didn't change so he could reconcile with us. We changed through the blood of Jesus Christ to reconcile with God. Because of sin, creation is out of sync. But because of Jesus, one day all creation will be reconciled. So who he is in relationship with the Father and who he is in relationship to all creation, that's the first two major things. Here's the last one. Who is Jesus in relationship to the church? Remember now, Paul's writing this letter to a group of people in Colossae, and he wants them to know how what he's already written affects them. I'm sure you would like to know that too. What does this mean to me? That Jesus Christ is the expression of the Father, that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. What he wants us to know is listed for us in verse 18. And he, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things he may have preeminence. Listen to me carefully. What Paul is saying to these believers is this. Just as Jesus Christ was with the Father before the world began, just as Jesus Christ is the creator of all the universe and preeminent in all things, Jesus Christ wants to be preeminent in your life and in mine. He wants to be first in the church. He wants to be first in the members of the church. He wants to be first in the life of every Christian. The question we have to ask, does Jesus Christ have preeminence in my life? Is he number one? Oh, you say, Pastor, he's number three or four, but he's not number one. Well, he will never leave you alone until he is number one. His desire is preeminence. We get all of our life from the head, and Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body. That's the picture he creates. And everyone who's a Christian is in the body of Christ. Did you know that? The Bible says that when we become Christians, at the moment of our salvation, we are all baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So we are the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. In verses 16 and 17, we are made quite aware of Jesus' preeminence over his creation. And now in verse 18, we are told that he desires the same preeminence over his church, verse 18, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Could I ask this question intuitively, probably pointing the finger more at myself than anyone else? Is it not possible that much that has gone wrong with the church today is the result of the body being separated from the head? (laughs) Isn't it possible? I mean, you can go to a lot of churches today. Jesus Christ is one of the many subjects. I remember someone telling me one time, here's what I believe. In the way I live life, Jesus Christ has one of the seats at the table. No, no, that doesn't work. Jesus Christ must have the preeminence. That was the fear that Epaphras and Paul had about their church. You see, what was happening in Colossae was all these other things were coming into the church and taking the place of Jesus. They were talking about Sabbaths, and they were talking about new moons, and they were talking about feast days, and all the stuff that these false teachers brought into the church, angel worship and visions and asceticism and all the rest, and Jesus Christ was put on the side. He was one of the seats at the table. 
And so the church became disconnected with the head. The church lost its way because they no longer were listening to the signals that came from Jesus Christ. And so the body was disconnected. Across the whole length and breadth of our land, churches are in trouble. And the reason I believe is because the body has lost connection with the head. When you lose connection with the head, you don't bring your Bibles to church anymore. You come to church and you get a positive mental lecture about how to do this better. But Jesus Christ is lost. In its vital hours, men and women, Christ has been the center of the churches in worship. He has received the adoration of believing hearts. If we would see the church blessed in our day, we must again return to the vibrant spirituality that constantly comes from the person of Jesus Christ himself. We've talked about who Jesus is, the person of Jesus Christ. In the last part of our text today, we learn about the work of Jesus Christ, what he does. In the next paragraph, Paul summarizes the work of Jesus Christ in our redemption, and he moves from the theological to the personal. In verses 15 to 20, Paul didn't use the second person pronoun, not even once. But in verses 21 to 23, he uses the personal pronoun five times. So there's a switch here in the text. If you're a student of the grammar of the Bible, just notice there's a big switch here. This is no longer about us. This is about you. This is about me. This becomes very personal. Here's what he says in verses 21 and 22. He has reconciled you. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now Jesus has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. This verse is like a flashback in a movie. It is as if Paul is saying, and don't forget where you were, and don't forget what you were before you were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How many of you know that sin just alienates you from God? By the way, sin alienates you from other people too, doesn't it? Sin separates. Sin isolates. Sin makes people lonely and sad. But most of all, sin separates us from God. It is impossible to overstate the effect that sin can have on mankind. Sin debases character and ruins lives. Sin makes us enemies and aliens from God. How many of you know sin actually leaves its mark on your body? But Christ's substitutionary death on the cross that paid the full penalty for our sin made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. When we were at enmity with him because we were sinful and he was holy, Jesus Christ came and he grabbed hold of our hands and brought us together so that we could know God. Years ago in a western city, a husband and wife became estranged and they chose to separate. They moved away and lived in a different part of the country. The husband happened to return to the city on a matter of business and he went out to the cemetery to the grave of their only son. He was standing by the grave in fond remembrance when he heard a step behind him. Turning, he saw his estranged wife. The initial impulse of both was to turn away, but they had a common-hearted interest in that grave. And instead of turning away, they clasped their hands over the grave of their son, and they were reconciled through his death. That's what happened to us. We were reconciled through the death of God's son. Because of the cosmic war with God, because it is over, we need to begin living like it was over. Don't you know? Sometimes we don't live like that. Sometimes we act like our sin is still controlling us and that we don't have forgiveness. Sometimes we act like the war is still going on. I read this week a story about a guy named Hiro Onada who was a lieutenant in the Japanese army. 
1944, he was sent to the land of Lubang off the coast of the Philippines to hamper enemy attacks on the island. Under no circumstances was he to surrender. Unfortunately, nobody told him when the war ended. Eating rice, coconuts, and meat from stolen cattle, Hiro Inada hid in the jungle for 29 years, carrying out occasional guerrilla activities and waiting for further instructions. He avoided search parties sent to find him, believing they were enemy scouts. Leaflets announcing the end of the war were assumed to be propaganda. Newspapers, letters, and family pictures dropped from the air were taken to be a trick. Friends and relatives even spoke out over loudspeakers, but Onada remained suspicious. He did not believe that the war had really ended. Eventually, his former commanding officer was located. He was working as a bookseller in southern Japan, and he flew to Lebang to officially read the terms of the ceasefire to Onada and relieve him of his duty. On March 9, 1974, nearly 30 years after the war ended, Onada finally surrendered. Onada was 22 years old when he left on the island. He returned a prematurely aged man of 52, and this is what he said. Nothing pleasant happened in the 29 years in the jungle. You say, Pastor, why are you telling me that story? Because I know a lot of Christian people. Somebody needs to tell them the war is over. You have been forgiven. God loves you. His son died for you. Quit living like it didn't happen. I know a lot of Christians who live in this kind of funk that they act like they're not forgiven. They act like they don't know that God loves them and Jesus died for them. If you're one of those people, I want to announce to you today on the authority of the Bible, the war is over and we win. And you don't have to live like that. How sad it is to be free and not know it. But how much sadder it is to be free and know it and live like you didn't know it. It's time for us to quit doing that. Jesus has reconciled it. This is Jesus in your past. He will restore you. This is Jesus and your future. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight is his goal. Listen to me. This is going to sound strange to you because I don't think I've ever said this before. But Jesus' goal for you wasn't just that you become a Christian having your sins forgiven and get saved. I mean, that's part of the goal. But his goal is that one day he wants to present you to the Father, and the Bible says, as a blameless son of God. He wants to be able to stand in front of the Father and in the words of Hebrews say, Father, here I am and here are my children. (laughs) He wants us to grow in such a way that we don't stop living for Jesus just after we get in the door of salvation, but that we go on and we grow. One of the reasons we teach the Word of God here is that's the food we grow on. My passion is to build you up in the most holy faith and to teach the Word of God, even some of the hard passages, so that you know this is what the Bible says and this is what it means and this is how I appropriate it to my life so that you're growing in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ's goal is that one day you will stand before the Father complete in Him not as someone who has just gotten saved and then went back to living like you used to live. He has reconciled you. That's Jesus and your past. He's going to restore you. That's Jesus and your future. And he's remaking you. That's Jesus and your present. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Listen to me, men and women. This Christian business is not a one-and-done deal. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ at the moment of our salvation, 
This is not the end. This is the beginning. From that moment on, we are all Christians under construction. I am a Christian under construction, and so are you. Can I get a witness? Every day, our Lord is working in our lives to make us more like himself. His desire is our discipleship. His goal is our godliness. His vision is our virtue. Paul's challenge to the Colossians in this letter that he is sending to them is that they continue serving the one who redeemed them by his death on the cross. The positive application of these words should be so motivating to us. Do you love Jesus today? Is he the focus of your life? Is he preeminent in your life? Let me finish with a story about someone who discovered what it means to fall in love with Jesus in a new and fresh way. Having finished his formal education, the Count set out on a grand tour of Europe in the summer of 1719. During this tour, he visited a museum of fine art in Dusseldorf, Germany. He walked through the doors in the early afternoon, and he was still there five hours later. But he hadn't taken in all the paintings and all the exhibits. He had remained all that time in one spot without ever moving to the right or to the left. The curator began to be concerned because it was time to close the building. And following the Count's gaze, the curator saw a fine canvas painting entitled Ise Homo, meaning Behold the Man. The subject was Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. By now, the Count must have had every tiny detail memorized. The curator walked over behind him, gently placed a hand on the young man's shoulder, and he started to speak. But now he saw something he hadn't previously noticed. Tears were rolling down the Count's cheeks. Underneath the painting was this inscription. If he cared that much for you, what should your concern be for him? It was clear that the young man had given five hours to the contemplation of that question. He was lost in the greatness and the love of Christ and who he is and what he has done. You may never have heard of him, but his name was Count Zinzendorf. He eventually became the key man in the birth of the Moravian Church. He had one of the greatest missionary hearts of any Christian who ever lived, serving the Lord continually for over 40 years till he died in 1760. And it all started when he was captured by the beauty of Jesus Christ. Have you been captured by the beauty of Jesus Christ? You say, Pastor, I don't have a picture like that. No, what you have is a book that is the full picture of who Jesus is. Today, we took a little bit of a look at part of that picture. And my goal for you and for myself is that as that man looked at the picture of Jesus and contemplated what Jesus had done for him, we would also be aware of how blessed we are that Jesus Christ is our Savior and the one who has lifted us up out of sin and given us a standing with Almighty God. That is our goal. That is our growth pattern. That's what we should come to church for. That's what we should read our books for. That's why we should pray and talk with one another and invest our lives in falling in love all over again with the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us enough to wear the crown of thorns, die on the cross. And the question is, if he would do that for you and for me, what should our concern be for him? To love him and serve him. And one day, the Bible says... Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, I feel like we've been kind of on sacred ground here um, discussing the deity of Jesus Christ. And I hope we've answered some questions you may have had about who he is and how we know 
who he is. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, we're going to talk about authentic Christian ministry. Paul opens his heart to the Colossians about his ministry and how God has used him and is going to continue to use him even from a prison cell. I hope you are doing well in your walk with the Lord. We provide so many resources to help you grow in your faith, and I hope you take advantage of them. For this particular series, it's a book that gives you everything we've talked about and will talk about in this whole series. It's the book called Christ Above All, 288 pages, a hardback book that just came off the press. It's never been offered before. This is your first opportunity to get this book. I hope you will do that. All you have to do is send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of August and ask for your copy. And then you'll also be able to get our study guide, our CD and DVD messages. Uh, They're available from davidjeremiah.org for this particular series. Then you'll have everything you need to facilitate your own small group Bible study. Get copies of the study guides for everybody in your group and then go at it. We're there to guide you and help you and encourage you. You be the facilitator. And the Word of God will do its work in your life. Hope you have a great day. Be sure to join us tomorrow right here on this good station. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. To share how God is using this ministry in your life, write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Christ Above All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the Written Word Journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. The great preacher Donald Gray Barnhouse was known for his towering intellect, but also for the power of his preaching. He once said, If I had only three remaining years of ministry, I would spend two of them studying. 
What if we spent two-thirds of our life studying and preparing to live the other third of life? Yes, that would be hard to do. But Dr. Barnhouse's words remind us of the importance of study and preparation for life as a Christian parent, spouse, employee, and citizen. And there is no better way to prepare for life than by studying the Bible. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God rewards the study of His Word on Route 66. Route 66, driving the Word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.